welcome back to Slumber Party Cinema Club. It is me, one half of your co-host friend group, Katie. And here's Kate, your other half. You're having a really lovely day, morning, night, whatever time you're listening to this. Yeah, we call ourselves a slumber party, but um, you know, pretty much any time of the day, we're happy to have you. Yeah. Kate, how's it going? How's your week been? It's been good. Um, got a promotion at work last week, so that always, you know, sets you up. Yeah, uh, pretty nicely. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, it was great. Last week, I took a couple days off. I went up to Kohler, Wisconsin and just basked in a spa for 48 hours, not with my phone, not with my my tablet or anything from work. I just have been reading this book called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin, Robin Wall Kimmerer. That's mm-hmm. like slowly but surely changing my life and uh sat by a pool and didn't think about much so you know that's a nice break to come back from that to find out that uh you just got promotion at work which is going to be a lot of work but you know I'm, I'm feeling rested I'm feeling recharged and I'm just excited that I still have the slumber party to come back to when things get a little a little tense or a little stressful I'm just happy to have have this to come back to and just disconnect for a while and talk about movies yeah same I am very much enjoying my time creating this podcast um, with you and for everyone who's listening to it. You know, thank you very much. We're having a good time. Yeah. And today's going to be a great one because we have one of our our favorite movies to talk about. Both of us love this movie and it's a comfort movie. So, you know, even more stress, you know, when you're really under stress, this is a movie that I usually go to. Um, It's one of my comfort watches that I don't think we've mentioned as a comfort watch before on the show. Yeah, and I would say this is my favorite movie of all time. Really? Yep. Okay. Yep. That would the, make sense. I can the see the number one <laughs> has been for since forever. Okay. Okay. I always wonder if it was also maybe one of the first movies I ever watched. I should have asked my mom with that. I was I was on the phone with her earlier. I don't we know should probably mention that. what the movie is. I was trying to like uh, hold out, you know, um, okay. the suspense, but I guess inconceivable. Will... Yeah, <laughs> you keep w- using that word, Kate. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> In case that wasn't a dead giveaway, or you didn't read the description for today's episode, we are chatting about the Princess Bride. The absolute classic comedy, romance, fantasy, action film. It's so many genres packed into one. And it's fucking awesome. I've never met I've never met a single person that's been like, yeah, no, nah, I didn't like Princess Bride. Yeah, if I have, I have successfully erased them from my memory and my social circle. Yeah, anyone who says they don't like the Princess Bride um, should be Thanos snapped out of the world, <laughs> I think. Or maybe just forced to watch it as an adult, because I think there are probably people out there who saw it as a kid, were absolutely bored by it, and possibly didn't, didn't you know, leave with the right experience. Maybe they need to see it as an adult to understand just how great this movie is. But how? I even loved it as a kid. Like, literally, I've loved this movie since I was like a, a little baby child. I I remember loving it as a kid. However, I did require us to skip past the scenes in the fire swamp because they were too scary for me. Oh, okay. That's fair. I could see that. Yeah. Can I share with you a funny story about baby Katie watching these movies as a kid? Yes, please. You can always share those stories. Good, good. Yeah, I don't think I've shared this one with you yet. So yeah, so when I was a kid... 
apparently, I, I vaguely remember this. My my mom has told me, retold me these stories, but I liked to watch the movie and sort of stand in front of my TV, sometimes in costume, sometimes not, and sort of reenact the movie while the movie was playing, sort of like shadow casting similar to, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show where actors stand in front of the <laughs> screen during Rocky Horror and act out mm-hmm. the parts while the movie's playing. I would do this with The Princess Bride. There's a couple key scenes that I do remember reenacting. One of them was the scene with the like crone where she's yelling like, boom, boom, rubbish. Yep. Yeah. The queen of filth, the queen of slime. Yep. Yeah. My mom said I would kind of mumble my way through it and I would get the booze because I was probably about, you know, four years old. But oh. um, that one and then the other one I really like to do was when Humperdinck gets pissed at Buttercup. And he yells, I would not say such things if I were you. And he, he grabs her by the arm and kind of hustles her down the hallway and locks her into her room and then runs off to the Wesley. I really like to grab my mom and take her down our very short hallway into her room and shut the door. Oh. Oh my god, I love the fact that you're emulating like two of the less like wonderful characters in the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> those, <laughs> those are the two parts that uh Humperdinck or the hag. One or yeah. the other is what you picked. And those are the parts that four-year-old Katie really resonated mm. with. <laughs> now that you say that, I do remember my aunt and uncle had a to me, it was a very sizable hill comparable to the one that Wesley and Buttercup roll down when they're escaping Humperdinck mm-hmm. um, after killing off Mazzini. As to me, it was you <laughs> To me, the hill behind my aunt and uncle's house was that size. It probably was not, but as a little kid, it definitely was. And so I would reenact that scene quite often as a kid behind my aunt and uncle's house rolling down the hill. <laughs> that's funny i like that yeah. yeah and like you know it's not just like a little kid rolling down a hill because it's fun but it was like very intentionally supposed to be that scene in the movie <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah what a what a fun movie that's like a movie that i know so well i feel like i don't even really watch it anymore like when i am watching it i can't help but just starting to quote it mm-hmm along with the movie yeah i remember the last time i watched it was actually the first i think it was for the first or second weekend we were in lockdown for COVID in march 2020 i think it was the second weekend um was the first there was the, the last time i watched it because we were all kind of i think in need of comfort at that point and so it just seemed like the right movie to put on yeah i know that i watch it at least once a year because since kyle and i have been dating, which has been almost five years now. We always go to uh, the music box here in Chicago. They have on Valentine's Day a fun showing of The Princess Bride. They encourage people to like cosplay if they want. One year they did actually do like a costume contest. Did you guys dress up? We have not dressed up before. Um, we've always Goals talked- for 2023. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. We've always talked about like our dream um, sort of, I guess, Halloween costume, cosplay event costume. And I guess I suppose it would also work for this event, the Music Box event, dressing up as Miracle Max and Valerie. 
Oh, that's fabulous. That would be fun to walk around C2E2 at. Yeah, it would take some doing, yes. mm-hmm. but I think it would be awesome. So hopefully one day. And if anything, we'll just do it when we're really fucking old and we don't need, you know, the makeup. Yeah. And the movie is one of those movies that I think will still be classic and loved and recognizable enough for you to do that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, every, every, I almost said Halloween, every Valentine's Day, um, the music box has this event and they give you like a little goodie bag and there's sort of like fun call and response type things that you can do throughout the movie. Mm. And it's honestly really fun because you see like, obviously a lot of like romantic couples there. You see like some friends there, there are families there like with their kids. And I'm always like, man, I hope this is like the first time these kids are seeing this movie. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. But it's great. So if you are local to Chicago, you should definitely check that out. It's a good Valentine's Day um, date tradition. I love that. And that makes such sense for you too. You were saying that you had some backstory stuff to share. Yeah. So a long time ago, Carrie Elwes, who plays Wesley, came out with a book called As You Wish. And it was his telling of how they made the movie. It was really cool because it had a whole bunch of back, you know, behind the scenes pictures and stuff. And it was very much his perspective. I won't say it was like well written just because you can tell it's definitely an actor who just wants to tell all the stories he's got. And I, as much as I use exclamation points in my business uh, emails to sound friendly, I am not a fan of exclamation points in prose uh, for the most part. So a guy got to me because he ends a lot of paragraphs with sentences that have exclamation points at the end. And to me, that's distracting. But that said, the book is really informative around the stories of what it was like to be making the movie. And informative, also very rosy. He taught pretty much he has not a bad thing to say about a single person involved with the making of the film. But if you read other testimonies uh, from the other actors, it sounds like that was pretty much the, the common feeling around how they made this movie. Um, everyone who was there was very happy to be there. Um, Rob, uh, Rob Reiner, who was the director, um, you know, pulled together a cast of people that were between being very well known to not well known at all. Um, mo- you know, mostly Robin Wright. Uh, she was a newcomer. Mm-hmm. Carrie Elwes was also a bit of a newcomer at that time. And so um, he really pulled together a cast that that just gelled real, real well. Um, but there's some great stories behind some of some of this stuff. So, I mean, Carrie Elwes is very open about how the first time he met Robin Wright, he was completely smitten, um, oh, which yeah. obviously works. Right? So um, having having your two main characters be sort of into each other off uh, off off camera helps on camera. Obviously, they didn't really end up together. Uh, Robin Wright went on to marry Sean Penn for a time and Carrie Ellis did not end up with her. But that actually, you know, he talks a lot and he's just, he, he just gushes about how wonderful she was to work with and what kind of person she is. But there are other characters, like there are other people that that were in there. Mandy Patinkin, who plays uh, Inigo Montoya, Montoya talks about how the only injury he sustained during the filming was a bruised rib from holding in his laughter while he was in the scenes with Billy Crystal. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've read read that uh, little anecdote before. That's pretty great. Yeah, so there's that. There are like lots of stories about um, Andre the Giant being just a wonderfully kind man and a sweetheart that everyone wanted, you know, just loved being around. He was quoted as saying, when, when someone asked, what's your favorite part of this, you know, making this movie, he, he said, no one looks at me. And it was because no one looked at him like, the, you know, like he was a freak of nature. They were not 
you know, because he, he's a huge person, right? Big, mm-hmm. tall, all of it. He said that everyone sort of treated him, treated him like a human being on set, which made him feel very equal. And he didn't feel like he was, you know, the center of the show. There are other stories about like these little towns they would be filming near where like he would go to the bar beforehand and tell them to prepare a whole keg because that's how much he could drink in a night. Yeah. Um, because big body can handle big alcohol. And, and there was another story that Carrie always talks about where they were out. Uh, he came back, uh, Andre the Giant came back so drunk, he fell asleep in the lobby of the hotel. But because he was so big, nobody could pick him up and move him or, or rouse him. So they ended <laughs> up putting up like ropes around him so that no one like would step on him. <laughs> Oh no, as if somebody wouldn't see him and step on him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know Andre the Giant was a professional wrestler. Yes. And okay. in fact, they were worried they were not going to get Andre the Giant for the movie to the point that I believe it was uh Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger who was not really well known in the 1970s when when William Goldman who wrote the book was trying to get well, wrote the book and the screenplay, was mm-hmm. trying to get the movie made. Uh, it was the 1970s when he was first attempting it. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was not well known, but he really wanted to play Fezzik. And he was being really like strongly considered because they were pretty confident they would never be able to get someone like Andre the Giant to do it. Yeah. And I I want to say around that time, I like Andre the Giant was dealing with like a lot of injuries. Like, um, mm-hmm. He had some really bad brat problems. For example, I know at, during this scene at the end when everybody's jumping down from the window and Fezzik's catching them so they can make their escape. When Buttercup jumps into Fezzik's arms and he catches her, he doesn't actually catch Robin mm-hmm. right. Like he, his back was so bad at that point that he couldn't hold her. She had to be like on, you know, like a harness because he couldn't even like hold her. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about like all the physically demanding stuff he had to do for the movie and, you know, a lot of it is the the magic of the movies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that, yeah, that he was already dealing with that. But then the fact that he just, I don't know, he just comes off so warm and loving and sweet. Yeah. And meanwhile, you've, Meanwhile, you've got Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Elwes who are training with Olympians to be able to do their sword fight because that's going to be all real. (laughs) Yeah. And oh, my God, the best sword fighting scene I have ever seen in a movie. I can think of one other scene that I've been like, that one comes close, but it is absolutely the best sword fighting cinema. yeah and so carrie was in the in the book talks about how he he did the whole thing with a broken toe oh really so, yeah so he i guess he and the cast they had been given these like atvs to ride around in and he had been messing around on his and ended up getting his foot jammed under one of the pedals mm. which broke the toe and the next day or so it was pretty soon before he'd have to do the um uh the the fight scene the, the sword fight scene and so he ended up doing that entirely with a broken toe and he, he was very clear he's like it's not, he didn't feel like oh they made me do it with an injury like he's like no i was being an idiot and <laughs> i broke my toe before we had to do this it was my own damn fault and so but yeah no that's uh yeah that sword fight scene and and the little like i am not left-handed <laughs> that's like so oh, um... so cool <laughs> That's like some uh, Vigo Mortensen, like Aragorn type shit. This broke his foot in one of the scenes they were filming for the two towers when he like. Didn't he do that when he kicked like a helmet? He kicked a helmet and it was sort of a like, 
it wasn't scripted. It was just something he did. And he ended up breaking his toe and the yell of agony he lets out, which sounds so real and sounds like it's coming from the fact that he's sad that Pippin and Mary are presumed dead is actually just a yowl of pain because he just <laughs> broke in his toe. <laughs> oh no. It worked, but talk about the method acting on that one. Yeah. Can I tell you one of like my favorite behind the scenes sort of anecdotes that I know? Yes. Which you might know this one too, or or maybe we've talked about it. So I know Mandy Patinkin's character, Inigo Montoya, his sort of driving force in his life is revenge. He's looking for the six-fingered man who killed his father when he was a child. And he's, you know, looking to kill that guy to even the score. And um, which, side note, by the way, I really love that, like, he's sort of an anti-hero in this story because he starts as, like, one of the quote-unquote bad guys. He has this whole, like, he wants revenge and he wants to kill this guy who killed his father And when it comes down to it, he doesn't have like that hero's moment of like, you know what? I'm not going to kill you because even if I kill you, like, you know, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to bring my father back, like whatever. And I kind of like that. It's it's an interesting character that he actually follows through with his revenge. Like when he gets to the goal, you know, pulls the trigger. Oh, he gets his man. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, one of one of the, the things that I really enjoy or the stories that I really enjoy and really resonated with me for reasons was like shortly before filming started or while filming was started, Mandy Patinkin actually did lose his father um, Mm. in real Mm -hmm. life to cancer. And that is a similar experience I've had. My dad passed away from cancer in um, 2010 and he, you know, he drew on those feelings of grief to kind of help him with this characterization and kind of like knowing these feelings of revenge and like, you know, when he says that really like golden line at the end, not the hello, my name is Zaniga Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. But the six figure man is offering him like anything you want, I will give it to you. And he says, I want my father back. You son of a bitch. Like, Ooh, that mm-hmm. just like that hit that hits hard. And I'm sure like, anyone you know who's listening who has also maybe lost their dad or a parent or somebody like very close to them like it's oh, like yeah. when you feel like that it's like yeah like all you want the impossible like no amount of like you know killing or money or you know whatever prize at the end of the road is going to make up for the fact that like you just want your person back yeah um, so yeah, I just kind of like, I don't know. I, enjoy, I It feels weird to say like, I enjoy that he also went through that pain. And like, I just, I like. Well, you find a connection with it. Yeah, I like. It means something to you. Yeah. And like, you know, when you're grieving like that, like you're always sort of, I don't know, processing, trying to look for meaning and grief or ways to express it. And, you know, a lot of times movies and fiction can do that. And I think mm-hmm. like knowing that story and like rewatching those scenes now and having gone through the experience of like losing my own father and sort of having that, that way to express my pain or sort of like, uh, like line it up with, I can't think of a good mm-hmm. phrase, like, you know, align something with it sort of metaphorically. I just, I really yeah. like that. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a, and I think it's interesting because I think obviously when you were four, 
um, that was not on your mind. No. <laughs> and so it just shows how art can shift and change in its meaning for us over time, depending on what we go through. Yeah. That kind of makes me think of, um, cause you're a writer and mm-hmm. I'm a writer and I had a lit teacher one time in college that was very, very much of the school of thought that like, there is no meaning in the written word outside of what the author intended like only author intent matters it doesn't matter like the context of a story doesn't written doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know when the story was writing or or sorry when the story was being written or you know what history was going on outside what was going on in the writer's life all that matters is like the text and Mm. I was like that feels so wrong (laughs) it's very reductive yeah it's kind of like watching like king kong from the 1930s in a film class and not discussing how it's a metaphor for white panic that black people were going to take over the world yeah yeah it's like completely missing a huge part of it Yeah. And I was like, how, like, how do people like who write, who study literature, like, how do you think like that? Like, even to the point of like, when you're watching a movie, when I'm watching a movie, like we're bringing our experiences to that movie. Mm-hmm. And like, how can that not matter? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And especially when you consider, cause I mean, like I, we were just talking, uh, I was talking to some friends about Hamilton and care and Leslie Odom Jr. Specifically because he just had a cameo on, on Abbott elementary. And we're talking about how, you know, he's a Tony award winner and, and all that. And talking about how there's a moment at the end of Hamilton where he's doing the final song during the duel and his voice, he has the line, this man will not make an orphan of my daughter. And his voice cracks in the middle of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he did that every night or just for the the cast recording and the production that they did, you know, the, the recording of of the play, the, the filming of the play, but his his voice cracks. And where I was like, I remember listening and being like, as soon as I heard that crack, I was like, oh, he just won his Tony. <laughs> but now thinking about like what kind of emotion he must have had to bring to that to be able to handle that line. And it's similar. It had the same effect on me as watching Mandy Patinkin deliver that I want my father back, you son of a bitch line because there is there's almost a tonal change i don't want to say his accent goes away because it doesn't yeah because that's his voice (laughs) because that is his voice but it's almost like a shift in his mannerism so it's no longer inigo it's now mandy patinka yeah exactly and i think there's also like a realization in that point for the character of inigo also realizing like this isn't going to bring my father back but I'm still going to fucking do it anyways <laughs> so do you think though but do you think if the six-fingered man Count Ruben who is played by um uh, Christopher Guest mm-hmm. phenomenally but do you think that if he hadn't thrown the knife and pretty much almost fatally kill you know fatally wounded uh Inigo with that do mm-hmm. you think that Inigo would have still killed him Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that Inigo much cared for what happened to him in his quest for revenge. Like, I mean, sure, I think he thought about, like, I want to kill him and then, like, you know, live to celebrate it. But, yeah, I, I don't think he had much self-preservation in terms of... I think his self-preservation was tied to, like, his end goal. Mm, mm-hmm. like, I think in, like, the final showdown... I think his thought was like, well, if I die doing this, at least I still do it. Right. 
I I think this movie is like perfect. There's very little I would change about it. However, as an adult, as a feminist who's sort of, you know, constantly learning more and more about, you know, feminism, female characters, what have you, I would maybe change Buttercup's character a little bit. Okay. She's a little damsel in distress. Oh, yeah. And, you know, very much relying on Wesley or someone to save her. I mean, she has a couple moments where I think, you know, she really takes power into her hands and she sort of stops letting things happen to her. But she's really quick to just like completely give up hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And she does try to kill herself in the movie, which is a wild thing to say about a PG rated fairy tale comedy that is essentially for children and families. And and she does a really interesting thing. Like it, it's a real interesting way that she was going to go too. The words like, heaving bosom come to mind. Yes. Well, she does. Ha- <laughs> there is a, sh- a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a, a pity to damage hers. Yeah. Um, le- and later we're going to have to talk about how I am obsessed with the to the pain speech and have been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in that very same scene, I believe. Um, it is. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that her having a little bit more agency would have been nice. I, uh... Yeah. I mean, like, I definitely get that, like, you know, in the beginning, she sort of loses Wesley and like just her whole life goes out the window. She, she no longer gives a shit about anything or anyone or herself. You know, and the important thing is that she doesn't lose him because he just like leaves. She she loses him because he leaves, and then she gets the word that he's been killed. He has been murdered by pirates. By pirates, murdered by pirates is good. Yeah, <laughs> we're just gonna quote intermittently throughout this whole episode. I love it. So yeah, she kind of just like you know falls in on herself, which I can. I I don't feel like I would do that, but I definitely understand the uh, the the easiness of doing that and you know prince prince humperdinck comes along he sees this hot girl who works on a farm he's like that's the bitch i want to marry um so i'm gonna do it and you don't know really much about buttercup's like living situation or family or anything within the movie you just know that she lives on this farm and wesley also works there um and Mm -hmm. lived there but you probably imagine that she has parents. They're also poor. Like they really don't have a lot of legs to stand on when it's like when a prince comes knocking on your door and is like, I want to marry your daughter. You're just going to do that. Well, see, that's the thing I find so interesting about because this movie, William Goldman wrote the script and the book at the same time, I believe. Um, William Goldman also wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men. The man's got range. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yes. Yeah. Same screen player, uh, screenwriter. So he wrote this and it really like the book gives a little bit more depth. What I think I love about the movie is it's just like, you have to take what they give you. (laughs) Like they don't go into how Prince Humperdinck showed up and somehow met Buttercup and decided that she was going to be the one he was going to marry. You have absolutely no time, like frame of reference for what time what the time frame was, apart from the fact that Wesley has clearly had enough time to develop resistance to Iocane power, powder and also these really awesome sword fighting skills, which he gained from being with the Dread Pirate, Robert, Pirate Roberts. I do want to mm-hmm. say you actually do know how much time passes because he does you say do. it's five years later between five years later. That's right. Yeah. Thank Wesley's you. West, 
Wesley's, the news of Wesley's death and then the announcement of Buttercup and Humperdinck's engagement. So it's been five full years. So, you know, um, as much as she does say that she died that day when she found out that Wesley had been had been murdered by pirates, it's been five years. Maybe, maybe, maybe girl, maybe our, our homegirl brushed herself off and got back out there and isn't exactly happy about how it ended up. But, you know. Yeah, I don't think she did. I think that you're you're right. I think that Humperdinck was like, oh, she's hot. We're going to get married. <laughs> yeah, I think at most she was just sort of a like a buoy in the ocean. She was just, you know, going along with it because she was just a, a shell of a person and nothing really mattered. Because mm-hmm. she she doesn't really perk up until she doesn't even try to like, well, she does try to escape Benzini. That's sort of her first sign of life. That yeah. She's trying to get away from her kidnappers because, you know, they're talking about how they're going to kill her and she doesn't want that. To start um, a, a war with the country across the, the water. Yeah. Yeah. And that it was Humperdinck who hired them too. Yeah. But she doesn't know that. And we don't find that out until later. Right. Because Humperdinck sort of, you know, has a throwaway line about that to um, Count Rugen, who I always refer to as I, I, I I'm like their boyfriends. like yeah you would ship them yep (laughs) they've definitely kissed or something like there's some weird bad guy love there i think especially in that moment that they're having in the woods outside of the pit of despair Um, oh yeah when he's like oh you know how much i love to watch you work yeah exactly sort of this common interest and like pain power and the fact that like they are obviously very close confidants. Like the fact that mm-hmm. Humperdinck would reveal to Rugen and Rugen would be on this in on this plan of his to have his bride murdered so he can start a war. That's a hell of a secret. Like, yeah, you, you don't you don't tell that to just anyone. I think you tell that to someone you've been inside of like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm also fascinated because you see the king, you see Prince Humperdinck's parents, right? The king and queen. Yes. And like, they seem like the nicest people. How did they turn out a, a child like that? <laughs> yeah. His dad is like so dopey. Like, I, I fucking know. love that scene when she was like, when Buttercup like kisses him on the cheek and he's like, what was that for? And uh, she's like, oh, I'll be killing myself so I won't be seeing you again. And he's just like, won't that be nice? <laughs> I know. Well, first off, how did he, well, maybe that's, that explains a lot. How did he rule that a whole country at this point? But yeah, no, it, I do like the parents. They're pretty good. Although, okay, here's a wild theory. And hmm. I, I, I've read the, I read the book, Princess Bride. I remember like nothing of it. I read it when I was like 13 and I wasn't super duper into it then. I don't know if that would change now, but anyways, wild theory. What if Humperdinck like somehow like did something to his father to not like kill him, but maybe to make his like mind go soggy? Oh, so maybe he, maybe that's how he and, and Kat Rugen got close was by figuring out what to do about that. 
Yeah, because like it seems like, you know, Prince Humperdinck, even though he's the prince, like he is the one he is the main guy. He's the one Mm -hmm. in power. He's the one making decisions, you know, ruling the world as he puts it. So, yeah, I I think he's the type of dude where he would like do something to his own father to kind of Mm -hmm. move him into a position of power. In a much much darker sense of magic than you see with like other characters like Max and Valerie. Yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. not a chocolate coated pill on that one. Probably not. <laughs> Miracle Max maybe wasn't wasn't involved in that one. Maybe Miracle Max Maybe that's how Miracle Max got fired. Yeah, well I was going to say like maybe Miracle Max got booted out and create a cure to make the king like well again. Oh, or he just didn't want to have any part in it. Or they just were like, nah, he he can't handle this. We got to get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I like to think that Miracle Max, while a crotchety old man, also sort of has a heart of gold, you know, and so he wouldn't be involved in that. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. I think I think he wouldn't they would have gotten rid of him without him knowing any of that plan, if that were planned. Mm -hmm. Because he probably at the end of the day would uh, would have let that secret out or you know found some way to expose prince humperdinck mm-hmm. now whether anyone would believe him who knows that's true i mean he it did seem like he kind of fell from grace so yeah i mean he's living in his little cottage out in the woods and he's got the little sliding thing on the door so he can check in and see who's there and he's already been bothered by the brute squad once that day <laughs> yeah yell at the children to like get off his lawn yeah 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 while his wife taunts him by the way max and valerie were named after william goldman's parents oh i didn't know that oh that's so mm-hmm. cute yeah i also love that valerie's carol kane i love carol kane so much mm-hmm. yeah so the the person because obviously this was you know 1987 right so billy crystal and carol kane did not look that old. they don't look that old today either no um, <laughs> but they the makeup was done by peter montagna or Montagna, who was the makeup artist for Saturday Night Live in the 1970s. Oh, um, yeah. So pretty much Billy Crystal went to this this makeup artist to create mir- the look of Miracle Max. And how he did that was he brought him photos, uh, like Billy Crystal brought him photos of his grandmother and Casey Stangle to help develop the look. And also oh brought in God. an uncle, pers- like the person. He brought in an uncle who had similar bone structure. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Because I was about to say, I was like, I feel like no one looks that old unless they're like 110 and knocking on death's door. I feel like mm-hmm. the oldness that they look is like a fairy tale old where it's like, oh yeah, you look that old because you've been alive for like 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> No, I it's all of the it's all of the uh, what was it Uh, MLT the mutton lettuce and tomato sandwiches (laughs) where the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are so perky. (laughs) I definitely think that this um, that this episode has the most movie quotes. Oh, absolutely! Every part of that movie is quotable. I like to play this game with myself sometimes where if like someone does bring up a quote from that movie, if there's someone I won't completely. annoy i will um challenge myself to then pick up from their quote and start quoting the movie word for word as far as i can go until i mess up sometimes i don't mess up the humble brag i just stop myself and i'm like okay i'm gonna stop because i could go on until the movie's over yeah 
Yeah. That is a fun challenge though. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's a fun little personal game I play with myself. Man, I feel like I had another another weird kids story. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. My other weird kids story. So this The Princess Bride takes place in the country of Florin. When I was a kid, I grew up in Florida. So I used to think that my kid brain heard that the story took place in the country of Florida. <laughs> I just assumed it was set in Florida a long time yeah. ago. Well, don't worry. I thought that the other one, which which is Gildan, I always thought it was Gilda. Gilda. <laughs> yeah. This which always like- translated in my head into Glinda from World- Wizard of Oz. Okay. Just how the little kid brain works, I guess. That makes more sense for a kid brain to think Glinda than what I was going to say, which was Gilda Radner. Right. Yeah. Well, as an adult, I go, oh, Gilda, Gilda Radner. That's actually the two countries are actually takeoffs on the names of the two, I believe, Dutch currencies. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think I've, I've read that before. Yeah. Speaking of money, just so, you, so we get some numbers in here, uh, the budget for making this movie was $16 million. And to put that into perspective, that movie has made a lot more than that since. But I mean, think about 16 million won't even get you an actor for a Marvel movie these days. It was a pretty big success at the box office uh, when it came out. I will say that I believe my parents when it first came out. Yeah. So it grossed opening weekend. It did not get that much. Uh, It came out in September of 1987. That's a weird time to release a movie, especially something like this. It made about twice as much as it cost to make in, in the box office in the US in the US and in Canada um, and worldwide since then obviously it's made a lot more money just based off of all the DVDs I mean there's I think I know the 20th anniversary DVD I have it's got an image on the cover where if you flip it upside down it reads Princess Bride upside down too Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Um, yeah. So I have that one. And then you said you've got, I think, the Criterion Collection. So yeah, it's definitely, it's in the film registry uh, movies that have significant cultural impact go into. And of course, it's also on multiple lists of greatest uh, movie quotes of all time, mostly because of Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare, prepare to die. I mean, I think I've bought that movie at least three times throughout my life because I had a VHS tape of it. Yep. Um, same here. Bubble case and everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I had, my, well, mine was just like the slide sleeve. I didn't have a bubble case, but what up 90s kids? I have a DVD that came out. I want to say I got it while I was circuit working at Circuit City. So that dates that. And it was like, it was a special edition that came out where it's like you could get like the princess edition or the pirate edition. Do you remember this? Oh, I do remember when they did that. Yeah. I got the pirate edition. And then, and then, yeah, I think I have like a like a criterion one too that I got as a gift. So yeah. And so then there's like, yeah, money from that, all the different formats of DVD. Mm -hmm. Another, (laughs) I just thought of another fun move uh, memory I have of this movie. When I was a kid, my mom used to work at our church's daycare or like before and after school daycare. And then in the summer, they had summer programs when school wasn't in session. But most of the time, towards the end of the afternoon, the days would end with like a movie watch. And Mm, so, mm -hmm. and it was usually like Disney movies or cartoons or whatever, because it's still, even though it wasn't technically like a religious daycare, it still was a daycare at church. And so, you know, God appropriate and whatnot. We had rented The Princess Bride for the afternoon because it was something new for everyone to watch. And you might know this or maybe have never realized it. There's only one swear word in that entire movie. 
Yes. And I remember it because it was, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Right. So one, I thought that was like the most badass thing ever because it was, (laughs) oh my God, this is a movie that they swear in and my parents let me watch it. (laughs) Yeah. So one swear word in the whole movie. Yeah. (laughs) So one of the guys that um, worked with my mom at the daycare, there was like a couple teen guys that like, you know, their summer jobs was working there. One of the guys timed it just perfectly so when Inigo Montoya delivered that line and said bitch he screamed really loud and it distracted everyone and it distracted all the kids from hearing the curse word wow yeah I was like that's kind of genius like I like I was probably about 11 years old 12 years old at that point so I had seen the movie multiple times had heard the cuss word multiple times so I knew what had happened but Probably said the cuss word multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, I, yeah, I was in middle school. So I was testing out curse words, at least among my friends at school, seeing, seeing how, how I liked it, how adult it made me feel. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty genius though. to like scream really loudly during bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will, I do want to mention during COVID, a whole bunch of people got together. They did a special rendition of the princess bride so if you remember katie you remember when like they tried to make quibi a thing i do yeah kind of pretty much top of the uh pandemic yeah so um yeah it was like i think they launched it like they were launching it during the super bowl in 2020 and then you know we (laughs) we saw what happened to the world after that but um i'm not Mm -hmm. saying quibi caused the pandemic i'm just saying (laughs) But the, no, uh, I know yeah. what caused the pandemic, and it was this cursed sonic image that we saw at C2E2 that year. <laughs> the one with the weird teeth? <laughs> yeah, and it said on it, cursed image. And cursed I was like, image. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, we were all in hell. We we're all in. Well, I saw it too. Now I think about it. I was with you at C2E2 that year. Yeah. So you know what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So no, Quibi came out. Um, and, you know, apart from a small little like Chrissy Teigen vehicle, there wasn't really very much on there except for one project that unfortunately has been lost to the annals of time because it was a Quibi thing. But it was a home movie version of The Princess Bride where all of these celebrities and actors and uh, musicians that were stuck inside with not much to do ended up getting together and filming different scenes from The Princess Bride in their own homes uh, Mm -hmm. with their own makeshift uh, costumes and props and stunts. And it was all to benefit the World Central Kitchen. Um, But it was, they just used their smartphones to recreate these scenes. And then Jason Reitman, who you might remember is um, a Canadian filmmaker, he made Ghostbusters Afterlife, he made Juno, he did Thank You for Smoking. He took all of this stuff and he stitched it together into pretty much a scene-by-scene remake of the movie, but with the actors changing out every so often. So, I mean, I don't want to spoil because part of the fun of watching this thing, and I shouldn't say it's lost of time, there is a very kind person who put the entire thing on YouTube. Go find it before they get caught and they have to take it down. But um the whole thing is on YouTube and part of the fun of watching it is just seeing who shows up as what role. Yeah, no, it was really cool because we were watching a little bit of it earlier, uh, both Kate and I, and it was kind of nice to see some funny faces. Honestly, it's the only remake of the movie I would ever accept. Same. I don't think the movie should ever be remade. Agreed. This one this one is the in the DNR list, the do not remake. <laughs> the TNR. Yeah. Do not remake. Do not resuscitate. 
Do not resuscitate. Do not remake. That said, watching it, I gotta say, Pedro Pascal would make a really good Inigo Montoya. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, some of the some of the casting in the movie, I'm like, or in the movie, in the Quibi version, I'm like, okay, these would be good choices for these characters. Yeah. If you we were, were making to- it now. Yeah. Big if. Which brings me to the next question is, do you think that they could, if, if this movie didn't exist already, do you think that it would be successful if they made it today? You know what? I kind of do. I actually, I feel like it might even be more successful because I feel like, you know, this movie was really ahead of its time for like the tone and, and like humor. (laughs) It's, it's, it's something that like didn't take itself super seriously. So yeah, I think, I I think it would, would have done very well. Yeah. I'm inclined to, to agree because I think the other thing is that the power of the internet would have been behind it. Yeah, for sure. Like I can only imagine like the Carrie Elwes fan groups that would crop up after this movie. Oh my God. Tumblr. Who would Tumblr ship? Uh, I mean, obviously account Rugen and Prince. Humper oh Pink. yeah. Oh yeah. But you be know- a ton of fan art of like Fezzik and Inigo being friends. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I guess I take it back a little bit thinking like, would this movie even get made because studios are so like fucking on the sequel franchise chain. Mm -hmm. But like, that's another reason why I think a movie like this would do really well with audiences now because like anytime that like a movie comes out with like any amount of uniqueness. For instance, the 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 movie that's popping to mind is like Knives Out. Granted, that Mm -hmm. movie is getting a sequel, but when it came out, it was such like a different kind of movie that wasn't attached mm-hmm. to like anything. It was just its own thing. It wasn't relying on being part of a franchise or like, you know, anything else other than being an interesting movie, an interesting story. Yeah, and I think we see that this year with like everything everywhere all at once, you know, being sort of the talk of the of the the film Twitter these days, even even silly stuff like the incredible weight of massive talent. Yeah. Um, with with Nick Cage, which is, you know, poking fun at him. But I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say that Princess Bride pokes fun at the fantasy romance genre. I think it, no. it reveres it. I think that it perfects it in some ways too. Yeah, no, I agree. And like I just know as an audience member, you know, and I say this as a person who loves Marvel, loves going to see comic book movies, loves Star Wars, like, you know, whatever. Like, I am incredibly hungry for unique movies. And anytime I see something that I'm like, wow, this looks really good. And it looks like it was just a fun movie that like somehow got made. And is it, I don't know, is it Oscar baby? If that makes sense. Yeah, I just, I I, like, I eat that shit up. Well, and you know, Princess Bride, I don't believe Princess Bride was up for any it was nominated for one Oscar, believe it or not. Um, oh. Best music uh, for the original song Storybook Love by Willie DeVille. Stop. That song is not okay. Objectively, that <laughs> song is not good. <laughs> I mean, I love the soundtrack. I listen to the soundtrack a lot in this movie. But yeah. that song does not that song does not hit the airwaves around me. <laughs> it is like like the beginning, the opening lines are like. Uh, come my love I'll tell you a tale uh, a, of a boy and girl and their love story and how he loved her oh so much and all the charms that she possessed Go, that's the opening line I just did that see memory, you don't even way. just you you remember <laughs> I was gonna say you remember the lines from the movie and the opening lines to the song yeah because that I was used to the 
because I like to listen to it ironically, like especially when I watch the movie, because it's just funny. And then also mm-hmm. you have like the really good credits that are at the end. Right. Well, I guess the credit the, the song doesn't actually start until the credits roll. Oops, I have no excuse. <laughs> but I really do love that. I you know what? I am a huge fan of credits that show who's in the movie, like yeah. who each person played like next to a clip of them like top gun the new top gun apparently does that i'm all about it it just really helps me um but uh so that was that was the song the score though like i love listening to the score and even the score was done by someone you wouldn't expect it was done by mark knopfler who's known as being part of the band dire straits okay i was like the name sounds familiar i probably Mm -hmm. read it on the credits but huh that's funny yeah yeah, so he was in Dire Straits. He's also, you know, um, he's done a couple other movies for for scores and stuff. He played with Eric Clapton and Sting and a whole bunch of others uh, for a charity concert. So, like, he's he's a musician in his own right. But, um, yeah, his big thing is that he did the music for Princess Bride, but he also did the music, the composer for... No, I take it back. He didn't do that. He was also part of the music video for Weird Al Yankovic's Money for Nothing, Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, nice. Just to go off topic really quick, I did watch the movie Weird, the Al Yankovic story on Roku this weekend. I got to watch it still. It's so fucking good. I know. I know. I was going to watch it this weekend, but I didn't. Instead, I watched The Good Nurse and uh, See How They Run, which was fantastic. Highly recommend See How They Run. Okay. Yeah. No, Weird was great. I fucking love Daniel Radcliffe so much. Like, I I think he's one of my just favorite actors, like based on anything he's done, you know, post Harry Potter. Not that I don't love Harry Potter, too. Yeah. Yeah. um, Just like Swiss Army Man, Guns Akimbo. Yeah. I'm I'm all for the weird Daniel Radcliffe era. Um, yeah. And I am I'm very excited to sit down and watch Weird, possibly probably not tonight, but probably tomorrow night, honestly. Yeah, it's so good. Every Everyone watch it, especially if you're a fan of Weird Al Yankovic or just like sort of irreverent comedy in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really great. And you just there's so many cameos by different like comedians in the movie that you spot. So, yeah, it's a great movie. It's so much fun. Nice. Nice. Well, cool. Well, I know that like we could probably sit here for hours talking about all of our favorite parts of the Princess Bride. But do, were there any, you know, is there any other things that you wanted to mention? Oh gosh, you do you want to just okay? What if we do this? What if we just start quoting the movie? Like we said, we'll play the game. We'll see if we can get through the whole movie, and that no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't make me do that. <laughs> You're gonna win. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I probably would. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna I think I'm just gonna go back and watch the second half of the home movie version. Yeah, I wanna watch the rest of it now. Well, it's like a perfect thing. And maybe this is what we end on. So like I like I said, like it's a comfort watch and you watch it once a year. I tend to pull it out when I am homesick just to commiserate with the whole setup of the story, which is a grandson who is homesick and his grandfather comes grandfather comes to visit and brings him a book. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. <laughs> and it's Peter Falk. And he was it so is. good. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing about the Quibi thing is like Rob Reiner is in one of the shorts. 
That's kind of yeah. like, oh. Yeah, Rob Reiner plays the grandfather in one of the scenes. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I also read that Carl Reiner, his father, was also in it. And in fact, they finished filming Carl Reiner's piece of it just a couple of days before Carl passed. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yep, you're right. That did happen. A nice father-son project toward the end. I like that. My heart is now filled with joy um, after like talking about it and kind of talking about all those great memories. I just feel really good now. Yay. Well, uh, we'll invite anyone. If you've got a line that you absolutely love from that movie and you want to send it our way, um, please don't hesitate. You can uh, tweet it or Instagram direct message slash send it to us through a story, whatever you want to do. Our handle is at SP Cinema Club on both platforms. So please, you know, let us know if there is a specific line or moment that's that's your favorite part of the movie. Yeah. And if you haven't been on our Instagram ever or recently, um, Kate and I did post some baby Kate and baby Katie uh, Halloween costume flashbacks that you definitely don't want to miss out on. Yeah, Katie, I loved yours. I liked yours. It was really cute. <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite. I think that was my favorite costume as a kid was when I went as a hippie. Yeah, I had I have like a bunch of um, old costume picks for me that I picked up from when I was visiting my family in Florida a few weeks ago. So yeah, so feel free. Uh, come join us over there. You can connect with us. Uh, send us rec- you know, requests for movies you want us to talk about. Uh, we are heading into the holidays, which means we've got some special stuff lined up for y'all. But we're also um, always open to hearing your thoughts on movies that you want us to discuss, possibly guests if you have any people that you want us to talk to. Uh, we can try to wrangle them. And uh, yeah, everyone's welcome at the slumber party. Yeah. So come on down to the slumber party and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing rhinestone in a couple of weeks, Katie. Oh my God. Don't tease me. I want to. Nobody has seen that movie. <laughs> if you have seen that movie, Please tell me because I feel like no one's seen it. <laughs> you will be the new co-host because I have not seen it. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Well, thanks for uh, stopping by, guys. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.